Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Reconstructed Faith podcast. Um, you have, if you're if you're listening to the David Smalley um, series, we are now going to be commenting on the second uh, section or second mm-hmm. portion of that interview that we had with him. Um, we are really grateful that that David came out and that we were able to discuss and kind of hear his thoughts and his deconstruction and some of his arguments. Not only because it, it gives us something to to be able to, to discuss with you guys, but for us to be able to see, okay, what are some things that people are actually dealing with, um, big and small? And so we've got a lot to get to today, um, but I'm going to, some some of the things we're going to talk about are pretty big topics, kind of the problem of suffering, God causing evil, um, right? people's relationship with who, how they picture God and um and, and more than that. So here, I'll throw it over to Chris Legg, and yeah. we can kind of go from there. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and just comment on this yeah. part of it. If you're if you're listening to that, um, one, it was December 27th, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we'd already we'd been on for a while, and and you probably if you especially if you know me, if you happen to be listening and you know me, um, you probably hear, and you certainly will by the next one. You're gonna hear me getting weary, <laughs> and and. And part of that is, and we decided this was a good thing to talk about for a minute, but part of that really is some of these conversations that we were having with Smalley, or, and honestly, a lot more that we didn't have with Smalley that day, are conversations I've already had with Smalley. I've heard him have them with many other people. Um, in fact, part of when, when I stopped listening to the uh, Dogma Debate podcast was because they were... They were kind of the same thing, and so many different <clears throat> Christians were responding in the same way and showing. And so there's there's places where I, when I'm listening myself in the in those podcasts with David mm-hmm. that I hear myself kind of stumbling through things. I'm I'm trying to decide okay which direction do I go with this or do I not go with it? And I feel like Chris, you did a you did a much better job of kind of keeping him on. You remembered better than I did. We're just here to hear from him and to listen and to unpack, let him unpack Mm -hmm. so that we can comment and talk about it. And I wonder if that's because he almost had came into it with fresh eyes and a fresh perspective, whereas you've, you had, you had backstory with it. Yeah. This was my, this would have been like my 11th and 12th hour to be in discussions with Smalley over the last few years. And, and that didn't include emails and other things. And, and so what we run into is and this and the section, a big part of this one, if you listen to it, is based on the conversation about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And anytime you've got a specific passage like this being unpacked, and it's a troubling for the person who's who's deconstructing their faith and they're unpacking it, well, one, are they unpacking it to understand it? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I really gosh, what is going on here? This is just wild. I want to understand this. I wanna or is it um, you know what? This boat is so well constructed, but I found a hole over here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it. I want to pick at that hole, mm-hmm. and I just want to find this one over here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick at it. And then when you hear that, you go, <clears throat> okay, do I do I respond to the hole 
or do I respond to the motivation for picking at the hole? So you have a big picture question, which in my opinion is totally valid. To what degree is God responsible for what? Mm -hmm. That is an excellent deconstruction question and reconstruction question. Digging into the details of that passage might be if you're saying, okay, this is wild to me that you have this, and you can go back and listen to it. If you, we did this with him, may, maybe at fault. We Maybe we should have just said, okay, good point. David, what else? What else would you <laughs> yeah, want to yeah, yeah. with that? Versus going through and saying, okay, fir- first it says he mm-hmm. hardened his own heart, and then it's he's going to harden his heart, and then he did harden his heart, and then and then it's God hardening his heart, and then it's... and you can see how you can get really caught up in the details. And and here's the, the challenge, and this is always hard for me, and I, I found myself listening to the podcast and hearing that in my own voice saying, okay, do I bite on this one too, or do I go with the big picture conversation, or do I just not respond at all and just listen? And, um, man, I, I have found myself there so many times when – uh, in order to answer a question like, let's go into the details of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Okay, we're going to need to go into the Hebrew culture and discuss mm-hmm. what pre-modernism is, and we're going to need to talk about the, the the preconceived notions and what we started to talk about, which is, yes, Chris Sherrod would be better able to explain to a, I think we agreed it was 21st century, <laughs> to a 21st right. century American audience what's being said in this passage than a whatever, you know, 3,000 year ago, or actually more like 4,000 year ago, um, Hebrew slave raised in Egypt. Like, yes, the language the language would be clearer for us and would require less work. Um, and so there's so much there. Did you yeah. do any more research on the details of, of that afterwards, or did you feel on what the... On the hardening of Pharaoh's heart or yeah, any of that conversation. So a few observations. Well, my, the big picture thing too is the Bible is a big r- record, is a record of God, not all of God's dealings with humanity. Right. There's big events, and the Exodus is one of the major events of the Old Testament that keeps right. the Hebrew people keep looking back to. Right. And so anytime you look at one event and then you say, this is the blanket way that God always deals with us and everything, you just kind of go, well, that's unfair to do because right. you've got a specific goal and a specific purpose delivering his people. Um, but what's a few observations of Pharaoh and his heart. One is every time it, it says, but then Pharaoh hardened his heart, it's after an event happened. Right. Like um, either uh, he saw, it, it's interesting, usually when, when God then takes away the plague, then Pharaoh hardens his heart. Interesting. It's, it's so interesting. So you start to go, so what's going on there with Pharaoh? But the analogy that I came up with um, is, was Pharaoh's heart um, actively hardened by God, like God reached in and made it that way, or was the actions that God was doing are what hardened Pharaoh's heart? Right. In other words, uh, it's, the, it's the expression, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And so the mm. same plagues were going on, and the Israelites were like, oh my goodness, the Lord is for us, and this is crazy. Right. Pharaoh sees the exact same things, and his heart is getting harder. So, so in what other the words, Lord does hardens Pharaoh's heart. Right. Okay. So my example that I thought up was when I was a freshman in high school, I started liking this girl who was a sophomore, but she had a boyfriend. 
uh, didn't go to our school. So that didn't deter me because I was like, well, I will woo her by, you know, (laughs) just liking her and stuff like that, which didn't help. I didn't have a car. Uh, I invited her to a youth thing, a couple of things, but I don't know what (laughs) clicked in my brain. I think when my sophomore year started, I found out that they had broken up. And so I decided I am just going to like just – I, and I, now it would be creepy when you think about what I did. <laughs> yeah. I literally so much of what we called her, romantic. Back I know. Then. I walked her to her car every day. Okay. And I carried her books. Like I didn't like forcibly take them. Like please, really, let me just carry your books. <laughs> and uh, I was in woodshop class, and I made her a clock with her initials on it. Um, I found out when her birthday was, and actually bought her a gift. And so, all of those things over time. <laughs> Eventually made it where she um, was willing, when I asked her to go out with me two days before I got my license. So I was banking on the fact that (laughs) I was going to get my license. She said yes, and it was great. So the thing is, uh, those are the actions that I did, and then she responded to them. But it could have had the opposite effect. It was a softening her heart. It, it was softening yes. her heart, yeah. Okay, so I've got, do you want me to jump yes. in here? Yeah, okay, yeah, this me. is, so when Chris told me this example, I actually started laughing. Uh-huh. Okay, so I, in our youth group, there was a girl I had a major crush on. And what's funny is there is a small chance that she actually would actually hear this podcast. Um, oh, funny. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's likely. But I don't think, <laughs> no, she would remember the event. It was that lacking in significance to uh, her, uh-huh. which is kind of the whole point, <laughs> um, is that we were had a huge crush on her, and she clearly had a crush on, again, an old a guy a year older, uh-huh. right? And so uh, and so I was I was good at throwing things. Like, I grew up throwing rocks all the time, and so I was good at it. And so I went over to the game where you're the baseball and you knock down the little clowns. You're the carnival. The carnival, yeah, at Six Flags. So yeah. I went to that, that part of it. Yeah. Did they still have that Six Flags? They still have the little, I don't know, the little con It's been so thing. long since okay, So I went over, and with like four, I had the four balls, it was like bam, 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 bam. And I was, it was perfect. It was flawless. And and I got this cool stuffed animal, and I went over, and I was like, oh, my, I almost just said her name. Um, And I went over and said, <laughs> hey, I won this for you, and she looked at me like I was holding a dead possum by the tail <laughs> and said, ooh, I don't want that, and yep. walked off. Yep. Now, my efforts... <laughs> Chris I, is crying I only, right now. I know it exactly. I need therapy. <laughs> my, all I did was all the work that I did only served to harden, harden. her heart yeah. further. Yeah. I guarantee you if the guy she was interested in had won the exact same... Thing yep. and had given it to her, it have been, it have gone, it had gone in her hope chest. Like that's a, yeah. That picture is a great picture. I think that's yeah. fascinating. So the thought is, is it God actively hardening Pharaoh's heart, or is it a byproduct of God is going to put? And He actually says, "I'm going to do this so that Israel will know," and then He also says, "I'm going to do this so the Egyptians will know." Mm. Right. So He's displaying His glory, and right. that the effect is. Now, it's, what's interesting is you read in Exodus 12 when it says all of the uh, the people left, it says a mixed multitude went with them. Yeah, right. So some people have said that's very likely that a lot of the Egyptians saw, because right. they were watching all these things. It's not like only Pharaoh was. And so many of the plagues were, the dividing line was the land of Goshen had none of these, where Israel was living, where right. he was living, had none of these plagues. And so the Egyptians knew full well like what is going on here is clearly all these gods. And then again, almost all of the, uh, I think we mentioned this, almost all of the plagues were attacking in some form or fashion 
the Egyptian gods. Right, I believe that. What, yeah. they, what they do and couldn't do or were, were known for. And it's interesting, in chapter 8, at, at one point, I think it's the gnats, the, um, the magicians in Pharaoh's court actually say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Right. Like they acknowledge this is they not... They can't come before him when there's boil. They can't even show up. Yeah. Right. So they acknowledge like this is not um, just a, a trick. This is clearly the finger of God. So in all of that, it's a great reminder that everybody had access to all the same miraculous stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And so how does God harden Pharaoh's heart? You could say he's actively somehow reaching in there and doing that. Or you can say um, indirectly by God doing those things... It hardened Pharaoh's heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's again. So we could we can dive into. Mm-hmm. And you can spend several hours if you're willing to. If this if this was the deal breaker, right? Mm-hmm. If David said, That's "Listen, if you can explain this to me in such a way that it makes sense to me, and and I'm okay with how God handled this, and you give me an option of interpreting this passage faithfully, that allows me to feel okay about it. Then then I will." put my faith in God and begin to read scripture and whatever mm-hmm. I would spend those hours and we could unpack it. Yeah. If that's what this is, <clears throat> if I'm able to say, and this is part of the issue, not just with David again, whom I love, but, but to say, okay, so, so I've exp- done this with some of these with David, not only with other people, but actually with him personally. And then like the Isaiah passage, God causes evil. I did that with him, spent probably an hour and a half going through that and explaining that's not their best interpretation. Here's why. Let's look at. Let's explain the mm-hmm. Hebrew. Let's explain the mirroring of the passage, the 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 poetry of it, and all of that. And then for him to then bring that up five years later as an, an example that God is responsible for moral evil, that's when I find myself feeling that sense of like, oh, so so it didn't have any impact at all. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even just I'm going to go find a different hole now and pick at it. It's no, I'm I'm still at that one, and and that's not again. I don't mean that as a slam on on David. I'm right. sure we all do that in our lives. I mean that as that's apparently not the actual issue. Yep. So we can do this. In fact, in the moment when he was sitting here, I'm thinking how much time we're already at twenty <laughs> minutes just on this. And we only have an hour or two hours with him. Mm-hmm. And and knowing even if even if Chris and I were to close every close and lock tight every single issue of Pharaoh's heart, that would not right. solve long term something. Um, so we could spend that like uh, so. But just to comment again, <clears throat> in Exodus fourteen, after so Pharaoh's let the people go, God hardened his heart. With again, is was that God literally hardening Pharaoh's heart, which? The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 9, he has the authority to do. He can do this. So we're not saying God couldn't do this, shouldn't do it, can't do it. We're just saying you don't have to interpret this passage through that lens, and you can faithfully understand this as that. Or you can believe God reached in and hardened Pharaoh's heart in order to prove a point, and that would be within his prerogative. We'll get there in a minute. But what's fascinating, so the people of Israel leave, they institute the Passover. They start following the pillar of fire and smoke, and they start that whole process. And then in Exodus 14, the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled. The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. So it doesn't use the language of his heart is hardened. It says his mind was changed. Mm-hmm. 
because of this. And he says, what have we done? We've let Israel leave from serving us. We've lost our slaves. So he made ready his chariot and took his army and took 600 chosen chariots and the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. It does not... <clears throat> so, so you have that language in five, right? He changed his mind. He and his leaders, verse 8, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. So yeah. in this, we have the two concepts used interchangeably. Yeah, Pharaoh and his people changing their mind, and God hardening their heart is used interchangeably in this path. And this is the last time it happens. And, and so again, and then God is going to rescue his people. There is a sense in which God says, I actually thought <coughs> that David's analogy, God is like an arsonist who is, you know, wants to be honored for pulling you out of the fire that he set. And you could add in just one more step with that and say, God is the God is the warrior who's going to drop a bomb on the town of his enemies and is warning people to get out of the town. Well, yeah, that's actually not a terrible potential analogy. Sounds like Jonah. Yeah, exactly. Jonah <laughs> is a wonderful example. Yeah, the whole story of Jonah, and so, um, so there's the, that's the narrow ones. We could spend so much time de- digging, and and I think that stuff's fun. I I enjoy that. But I think it's fair to ask someone even at the beginning. So, is this your issue? Like, if I were to, that happened to me when I was in college with a lady that I was sharing my faith with. She was like, you know what? Here's this one thing that is always, and she really made it sound like, yep. If you would just answer this, then I'll change my mind. And, yep. and it didn't change her because I, I, I felt like I gave a good answer. So I think it's fair, even at the beginning, to yep. say, okay, I'm just clarification here. Is this like your issue? Like, is this it? Or is this, are you just going to go, yeah, 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 well, whatever? You know, and like right. dismiss it. Or are, like, are you actually interested in the truth or just another excuse to? Do you know, have, I have one time had it where a person came in and it was in a counseling situation, which was weird. And came in, and it was in Fort Worth, and said, I'm a medical doctor. I love the Bible. I would love to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I went to a church, and they told me in this church, unless I believe the earth is only 6,000 years old, I can't, you can't Yes, be we've talked about that. <clears throat> yes. And, and we talked about it and said, I said, hey, good news. <laughs> like, no matter what you end up believing about that, that is not necessary uh-huh. to being a Christian. She said, it's not. I'm like, listen, I mean, let me give you names of all these Christian leaders who have different opinions on all of this. Mm-hmm. It is clearly not yeah. a new deal breaker. Yeah. And she said, oh, okay. Well, can I pray then and ask Jesus into my life right now? <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. That was her, like, mm-hmm. and I have rules about that in the counseling session, but that's a separate conversation. I get yeah, yeah. those challenges there. Yeah. But, but I think that's uncommon. Right? Yeah. That's, that You're almost right. never yeah. happens when yeah. someone says, I really do have this one issue, mm-hmm. and if we could talk about it now. Here's what I think is a big picture part of this, though, is, and I, I don't remember if we said this so much last time, but I, I uh, oh, and I do need to, sorry, yeah, pausing my, pa- interrupting myself again here. I referenced in that discussion with David, I said the phrase that even if the whole book of Exodus was tossed out, that would not, I think I used the word like affect the, the cause of Christianity or the claims of Christianity. And then we moved on before I could unpack that. Let me explain what that meant. Because obviously, if we had to throw out the book of Exodus, that would greatly affect the claims of Christianity. For example, that these 66 books are breathed by God and whatever. The point that I was making, and this is a point that I think is an important one at times, and that is, okay, so 
if we discovered next week a better version of this passage of Exodus, like a more ancient version, another Dead Sea Scrolls that was 500 years earlier, and in those, in every one of them, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and it turns out that somewhere along the way someone had mistranslated or miscopied that, that would not change the doctrine of Christianity. We, we are not dependent in Christianity on God hardening Pharaoh's heart or not hardening Pharaoh's heart. Mm-hmm. The claims of Christianity, by that I mean the death, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the theological consequences of that. So it, when I listened to it, on, when I was listening to it, because it's in the middle of the conversation and it gets thrown out there and then moved past, it sounded flippant in my own voice. Like, oh, yeah, don't, oh, I shouldn't have said that that way. I intended to unpack it and didn't get a chance to. But to understand, of course, I do believe in the historicity and accuracy of the book of Exodus. Yeah. Um, and there's great material out there that I think is fascinating. Have you have you watched the Patterns of Evidence? Some of it, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I loved that. I was so impressed by it. Um and uh, anyway, that's a whole other, that'd be a fun conversation. We're talking about the Bible maybe. Yeah. Um, but um, so that's one. But I think here's another one that I want to talk about when it comes to deconstructing our faith, um, especially when we, when we find ourselves in the habit of, of wanting to give up on God because of things that he calls for or commands in Scripture. And I think all of us can be sympathetic to this, um, to say, man, God having Saul wipe out all the men, women, children, and animals in a small town or in a fortress, mm-hmm. or the fact that Joshua is supposed to do that in you know, in Jericho, at least in the fortified part of Jericho, that's tough. Yeah. And it is a tough conversation. Um, and when he, when Chris, you mentioned, I, I thought you, pre- I appreciated you mentioning like the, like the account of Noah, mm-hmm. that God is literally instructing Noah not to commit murder right after God has wiped out essentially the human race mm-hmm. and civilization. God never restricts his own authority mm-hmm. to take human life or to call for the taking of human life as a divine intervention. So here's the problem, that, that, they, that people who are doing this, they want to focus on um, God being powerful enough to be responsible uh, for those behaviors. So you either have to say, there is a God, and he is all-powerful, and he told Joshua, in his perfect understanding, wisdom, and justice, to slaughter these people. Mm -hmm. That's one option. The other option is, Joshua wanted to slaughter these people, and so he did, and he blamed some non-existent God, Mm -hmm. and that's what got written in the book of Joshua. Those are really kind of your two options, right? If it's the second option, what is God's responsibility for the destruction of the people of Jericho? Nothing. Nothing. There is no God. Yeah. So <clears throat> if that's what it is, if this is just Joshua doing Joshua stuff, then that's the case. The other option is there is a God, and in his godness, which is going to have to be perfect knowledge, perfect wisdom, perfect understanding, even perfect goodness, he understood the situation well enough to be, he's not only responsible for it, but if he's God, then he is also responsible to know when and how it would be right to do this. And one of the things David talked about, and I think we'll, we'll get to in the next conversation more in depth, is the whole, it's okay when God causes a miscarriage, but it's not okay when a human commits abortion. How, why is that okay? Mm-hmm. And 
the answer is, which you said actually in it, although I don't think he responded much to it, was, but that's because that's what it means to be God, Mm -hmm. is to not only have the power to do that, but the knowledge and perfect responsibility for how and when to do it. If you're going to take option one, meaning God is responsible for all this horrible stuff, then you're not an atheist. Um, You may be a rebel, you may be angry at God, Mm -hmm. but apparently you believe there is a God who is responsible for these horrible things. And so it's, it's a wild, at one point David even said the phrase, because there must not be a God if he caused all these terrible things in his creation. Mm-hmm. Okay, if there's not a God, then he didn't cause any of these terrible things in his creation, and you have no reason, therefore, to deny God. So it creates a weird circular mm-hmm. argument. If there is a God versus I think our side of the conversation is if there is a God who caused all these things, then he must also have the character and prerogative and perfect understanding to know when and how to cause them. Yep. This is a hard one to put into words for me sometimes. It is, and I know we're going to talk about the moral issue in a little bit, but I think it's still related to that, that um, if there's no God, what are you complaining about? You, right. You, all you all you have, you can't say something was actually wrong. And I know David would try to bring in the bad for society or we've decided, but it's still right. there's still no basis for saying human life actually has value and worth. Because essentially what he's saying is it's only uh, if it benefits society, then you're if you're if you're helping society get better or stronger, then it has worth or value. But mm. if if I were to just decide I'm gonna kill somebody, it's like there might be consequences. The society might not like you. People might treat you differently. It's like, okay, but I didn't actually do something wrong. And so when people say all these bad things that they don't like that God did, well, you solve that problem by just changing your definition of what you think is wrong. Right. It's Because I, I really think that most of those people aren't saying, that's just my personal opinion that Hitler shouldn't have done this or Pharaoh should have, you know, or, right. or God shouldn't have done that to Pharaoh or... But they really mean, no, actually, it should not, capital should not. Right. It's really wrong. And, again, if there's no God, then there's you can't say that. You're, you're stuck with, well, society has evolved this way. It's like, okay, but there's mm. still no oughtness or real thing there that we actually committed that's wrong. It's just what society could have evolved a different way. And mm, we, we, right. we could have evolved this way, and rape is okay. And yeah. um, we can take advantage of people. So. so what? how would you guys address, because I know you didn't really have a, a lot of time because we were kind of moving from one thing to the next in right. the in the conversation, but um, David bring, brought up that he's an unbeliever who identifies with objective moral truth, and the objective moral truth has to do with just using the facts of observable reality, the net negative outcome versus the net positive outcome. So if we have people who are listening right. who are hearing what you're saying and either themselves are like, well, I mean, what you're saying kind of, I, I it resonates with me. You know, like some of what, how would you address that when somebody's like, well, I don't really believe what you believe, but I do believe that there is objective moral truth. Yeah. How Go ahead. are there well, other I things think, that you're like, Oh, okay. Let me just yeah bring some things up to think about. Well, That's if we're going to talk about morality, I mean, what that means is, it, it's almost like what Chris was talking about before uh, about uh, love and, and and feelings and things like that. That 
um, everything's going to get reduced to just either might makes right or this is just personal preference or um, you're just going to end up talking about instead of morality, it's legality. Like it's just, is it right. is it legal? That's what makes something right or wrong. Yeah, he actually defined murder incorrectly. And again, I, I wasn't in the place to interrupt, but murder being the illegal taking of human life. I was like, no, that's that would not be the correct definition of murder. It's not an. It's not murder. Is not merely a legal concept. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. That was that struck me as that in that moment. No. Yeah. That, that's all my thoughts were. I mean, initially, we can, we can talk more about morality later. But it's just you're gonna you're always it. It's it's you you you're gonna have no ground for saying something is absolutely right or wrong. Right. If there's no God, it's gonna break down. Somewhere. It, it eventually is. It's gonna be um, either genetic wiring, which then you have no excuse to say anything, to hold right. anybody accountable. Like, you just can't help it. It's in your DNA. Um, but it, in, and it, it's just going to make things like might makes right. Mm. Um, who gets to decide what is best for overall society? Because if it's just what's the majority agree that this is good, then can the majority ever be wrong? Yeah. Like, would we say in our country the majority has ever been wrong? <laughs> it's like, yeah, all A the few time. Times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... It, without an objective standard that's outside of all of us, it's really going to come down to mm. might makes right or who are you? Everything's going to be just who are you to say? Yeah. And right. I think we've moved in our country from what is asking what is right to asking what is right for me mm. to mm. now the big thing is I have a right. Everything is all the radical autonomy. Right. I right, have a right exactly for everything. Right. Um, okay. Well, let me. Since we'll 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 hit more of the morality thing because he's gonna um, we're gonna later. unpack that more in the last segment. I yes, think, and we'll, we'll yeah we'll postpone that one for the next response. One other thing I wanted to ask you about specifically, Chris, because you said you mm-hmm. wanted, and both of you can comment on it. Um, it was an interesting commentary that uh, David had when he's talking about people turning away from atheism right. um, against Christianity, and the quote was something. Uh, around the vast majority of people who become atheists, it's a bit like turning against a father who is abusive. Right. And so, um, I mean... I think he, that is a... Yeah, is there, is there a... What would you say to that? What, what I love about that analogy. And again, I was, it was interesting. I was actually talking with your sister, uh, Lana, some this morning about this, but <clears throat> it, is, it is wild to consider from a purely sociological perspective, the three men who are sitting in that room having the conversation um, that we had talked about, are you a question asker or not? Who gave you the freedom to ask questions or not? Um, you know, did you just do kind of believe what you were told to believe or not? Were you encouraged that you ought to do that or not? And and so it was intriguing to me that, that David, I think, very intuitively engaged with God as an abusive abusive father. Um, and so, but what I, what I love about that analogy is I actually, I actually think he is very right about that. I think he is very, especially in modern times that there is a father and he, he doesn't approve of your gay friends activities or there is a father and he doesn't approve of your boyfriend or your girlfriend. There is a father and he doesn't approve of some life decision you're going to make. Now, What's wild is how often they're wrong that they're that they're wrong about what the father approves of or doesn't approve of, but that is their assumption. Notice, though, that that father exists, and so to say, I walk away from God the way I'd walk away from an abusive father. 
So what you what David is saying is because he abused my mom one too many times, because he used our money to buy alcohol one too many times, I am now declaring that he doesn't exist. And that's not healthy. The healthy attitude is to say, I need to get a different concept for father. The healthy concept is I need to build something different than this. That the image I have of father stinks. Yeah. And I would agree that the version of God that David grew up with stinks. <clears throat> and and the, the what he was taught as a child is not good. Um, and I think that's true for all of us to one degree or another, that some of the things we learned about God weren't right or weren't good, or we weren't mature enough to know how to engage with it. And certainly a good father does things like take us to the dentist that may make us really mad and may make us feel rejected or hurt, um, or we may not understand their motives or for why they did something, and, and that can do it. Um, or on earth, our father may actually have been terrible. Uh, many people have abusive, hor- horrific fathers. And the idea of saying, a father who acts like this, I don't want them to be my father, I think is completely understandable and acceptable. Um, a father, but but so the question is always, is this my father being abusive? Or is this my father trying to help a mentally ill wife? Or is this my father taking me to the dentist, which I really hate? Or is this my father you know, working too much because I don't understand how much my medicine costs. Like all of those are options when you're talking about an actual father, mm-hmm. but in all of them, there is a father and the, the, to say there is a God and I'm just so mad at how he treated the Canaanites and there is a God. And I'm just so, I just do not understand why he thinks homosexual behavior is sin. I don't get it. I don't agree with him. I think he's off. Okay. So either that God is, wrong and off and, and doesn't understand what he should understand about homosexual behavior with humans. For, just as an example, there's just a, such a common one nowadays. Or to, I can't live with my boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, pick, pick it. Or is that a God who's saying, listen, that's the, that's the pointy end of that revolver. Don't point it at yourself and pull the trigger thing because I know how revolvers work. And of course, as a kid, we don't know which one that is. Is, is that parent being abusive or are they taking us to the dentist? And it feels the same to us when we're a child. So as we grow up, we learn to, you know, we, we ought to have a podcast about this where we deconstruct our understandings and try to reconstruct what really is there so that we can understand what is a father? What is a God? What would it, is there a way to understand this whole hardening of Pharaoh's heart that would make more sense given that there is a God? Um, anyway, I just I loved the the analogy because it, yeah. it I think it is actually a great picture of what many people are doing right now. Yeah. Um, even and you mentioned it just briefly, but even the the idea that was God saving some of these Canaanite kids from being slaughtered anyways right. by their oh, own yeah. parents? Because that's what I mean. If, yeah. Oh, if yeah. Some of these Canaanites worship Molech, and we're going to be, and so God's stopping some big evil, awful thing. Um, it's but tough. then you again, you're upset with like, well, if he didn't do anything, I'm upset. But then when he does something, I'm upset. He just yep. didn't do it the way I wanted. Right. There's so many Pine Cove interviews that I did over the years where one of the questions is, when when you become a parent one day, is there anything you might do differently? <laughs> and, the, and and for people who don't know, this is this is interviews with college students. Yeah, with college yeah. students okay. to be to and be on staff. I cannot tell you how many times the answer was. You know, I used to think there were so many things I was going to do, do differently, and now looking back. 
Right. I, I probably am going to do the exact same thing. <clears throat> and that's just that's exactly what you're saying is yep. that at the time you don't understand, you don't know why, you don't agree. Um, and is it possible, even with the way we understand God, that there is a really good reason that we can't handle or grasp? And if your answer is no, no, I always know, like you start to go, well, that's that's crazy to think. If there's really a God, it's very, very likely that there are things that he could never even explain to you because you wouldn't get mm. or you don't understand or there's a way bigger picture. There's a lot of more moving parts that, that you you just you just haven't factored that in. I feel like that happens a lot of times with parents and kids or teenagers when they've got right. their plan. Why can't I do that? And you're like, okay, you're not considering, you know, we've got to go over here and we got this and we still got to put gas in the car and we've got to, it's not just your one plan that you're upset about. It's like, you're not considering the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, so again, I think that people are, can be mad at God because he didn't, or they don't understand, but that, like you said, Chris doesn't prove that he, that he doesn't exist. Right. Um, and it really could be that you just don't understand or you're only wanting him to be the God who always says yes, because your concept of God is he's a, a kindly grandfather in the sky that just wants everybody to have a good day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's not the God that you, you find in the Bible. And I've said this before, but I love the way Tim Keller says to people, describe to me the God you don't believe in. Right. The God that you've rejected, I might not believe in him either. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you guys for hitting on this. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the divine yeah, we'll, hiddenness thing. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. We're going to talk a lot more about divine hiddenness and the morality piece. Um, that'll be coming after the third and final session that we had with David Smalley. If there was any part of this that you're like, oh man, I really wish they could have unpacked some of this. Um, something maybe triggered you. Um, please feel free to get uh, to shoot us an email. Shoot me an email, info at southspring.org with that question. Uh, it would be helpful if you kind of gave me the timestamp on um, on the Smalley section that you're like, hey, I would really love this to be addressed and and we can look at that. Absolutely. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll pick this up in the next episode. Thanks guys for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.